Hey everybody, welcome to our series we're calling Good Grief. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors with Branch Life Church, and throughout this series, you'll hear from a variety of speakers who are going to talk to us about what we all experience as we travel through grief. Shock, anger, sadness, and acceptance. Our goal and our prayer is at the end of this series that you will be encouraged wherever you are in your season of grief and also be able to encourage others. So much so that in the end, you'll be able to say that it was good grief. I hope you'll stay to the very end of this teaching. I have some more information for you when we wrap things up. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy this teaching. Pastor Josh, thank you for, A, inviting me to come and speak uh, to your congregation, but more importantly, thank you for having the wisdom to realize that as a human being, even though you're, you're a pastor, you're a human being, and there are times that pastors um, will do too much. They'll take on a uh, the essence of I needed, it's important that I push through, it's important that I model pushing through, but I think it's wiser to model that sometimes, especially in a series like this, after the losses he's experienced and you've experienced, it's very wise to be able to say, I need to step back. And I think that's real, real good wisdom. How many of you have grieved in some way or another in your life. Okay, how many have grieved not just because of the death of a loved one, but you've grieved because of the death of a job, you grieved because of the death of, because of maybe a trauma or a tragedy in your life. I want to ask that question because I want you to sense that grieving is not just the process we go through when we lose someone we love. Grieving is a natural physiological process that human beings, and are you ready? Have you ever watched elephants on those documentaries? When one of them dies, you, they, they, you can see they go through something, right? It's part of the DNA of what it means to be alive and functioning at a certain level. I grew up, um, I've lived here in the Phoenixville area for 30 plus years, but I grew up in the Bronx, New York, and then lived in Scarsdale. And being a, a, a person who's all four of my grandparents, when people, when I grew up, people would say, it was okay to ask, hey, how Italian are you? And, you know, the answer would be, you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm Italian American. And then they would say, well, how, how much? And I would go four quarters, okay, because all four of my grandparents immigrated from Italy. And when someone died in the Italian culture, if you've watched it on TV or if you've experienced it, the Italian ladies, we used to call them serals, like sisters, the Italian ladies would wear black. The black dress, the black shoes, the black hose, sometimes a little black hat. And they wore it for years. 
And it was almost a thing of pride. Three, four of them would walk down the street in Arthur Avenue in the Bronx, all like this. And it was almost like, I got to join that group. You know what I mean? And then somebody passed away, and now you get to walk in black like that. When my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side became Christians, my grandmother first, when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother, V. Bartolo, went to the funeral, the wake, the funeral, and were black. The next day, I'm at her house, and she's wearing the normal dress she wears every day. And I said to Grandma, how come you know where, and I used to speak to them in an Italian accent, like they understood me better. Grandma, how come you know where a black like everybody else? She says, and my, my, my grandparents would always talk like a little bit like this. What do you think? He's in a heaven. Okay, I don't need to grieve. I know where he is. And then I said, you know, Grandma, I used to tease her like this. Now that Grandpa is gone, I'm going to be your boyfriend. And she said to me, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus, he's my boyfriend. <laughs> I said, okay, Grandma, you're right. That's your boyfriend. And it was almost two years ago, I had a friend who's 20 years older than me that I prayed with him to find Christ as his Savior 40, about 40 years ago. So I've been in the area for 40 years. And he, when he introduced me, he would introduce me. His name was Tony Metricardi. He used to introduce me as, this is Jimmy Comenzo. He's my best friend. He's like my son and my brother, all wrapped in one. And when he went through an illness as a result of an infection, and probably was the strongest 84-year-old man you'd ever meet in your life too. Very strong, very healthy, and passed away. I want you to know that till this day today, I still at times grieve. But I grieve as someone who has hope. So what do I mean by that? I mean, we're gonna talk about grief today and I want you to get an idea that right from the beginning, this is not a stair-stepping thing that you go through and then it's over and done. As many writers have written, grief is like a wave that just comes in and it goes back out. Comes, comes in and it goes back out. And it's up to us to learn how to deal with that in a very, very, very powerful way. The key verse is very simple. It's brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. And I'm sorry, it's from 1 Thessalonians 4.13. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. When I was asked to speak at a church on mental health hygiene, I sat in my chair after a while and I said, Lord, I'm working on all this stuff and you know, you get so much material. I said, what is it you want me to say? And I felt like the same thing here. Sometimes when we grieve and go through difficult times and loss, we need a friend. Sometimes when we grieve, we need our pastor. Sometimes when we grieve, we need a counselor. Sometimes we need a doctor. Sometimes we need a therapist, counselor, and a doctor together. But all the time, we need faith, hope, and love that's found through Jesus of Nazareth. 
And that's the theme. Sometimes we need help, and it's okay to ask for it. This morning, we're gonna, I'm going to be the first in a series called Good Grief. And here's what, I'm going to take a minute to tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to begin by defining and understanding the essence of grief and the essence of good, okay? Then we'll look real quickly at what is good grief. Then we'll briefly look at the five phases of grief that are outlined as shock, denial together, bargaining, anger, sadness or depression, and acceptance. And here's what's interesting. If you read the work that was written, that this was written by Keebler Ross, okay, in her book, Death and Dying, she writes in her book that hope can persist at every single level. Okay, that's an exact quote from her book. This morning, we're gonna spend more time in denial and shock. I mean, denial, shock, and bargaining. Then we're gonna conclude on practical suggestions to help you, and here's an important word, swim through grief and focus on the hope that we can experience through every one of these phases because the central truth is we grieve, but not without hope. When I use the word swim, it's a word I use when in, in a therapy practice that when people have difficulties and problems, I often say to them, what we have to learn how to do is swim through this material and not drown in it. In other words, it's real. In other words, the material is there. The sharks are there. They're nipping at you. Okay, you got, you, you know, there's danger in the water. There's pain in the water. Life brings with it a certain element of pain just because that's life, correct? But our task is to swim through that and not drown in it. And the greatest way that I've found to swim through the problems of life is to put my hope, my trust in Jesus of Nazareth because that gives me the ability to swim through it. So let's begin. What is good? If we had the time, I'd ask you to tell me, what is good? Somebody, just for the heck of it, and just fill in the blank. Good is? Come on, come on. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, there's the answer. You cheated on the test. <laughs> Good is? What's it? Merit. Merit. Great answer. It's respectable. It's moral. It's virtuous. It describes positive value. Good makes something better. Agree? But good is also something else. Uh, listen to this quote from a science that I study. A thing is good when it has all the properties it's supposed to have. Or put another way, something is good when it fulfills its definition. My car is good if it gets me from Phoenixville to here. Right? Commenzo will do a good job today if you walk out of here and it makes sense in the Lord's presence. That's good. But the thief is good if the thief robs your house and doesn't get caught. That's one good thief, correct? So that's good, all right? Good defines, it's got a property of also defining that characteristic of the class that it's defining. It's congruent with it. What is grief? Simple. Grief is the acute pain 
that accompanies a loss. It's not limited to the loss of people. It follows the loss of a loved one, but it may be the loss of, as we said before, a job, a home, a spouse, um, not in death, divorce. Okay? Grief is a natural response, a natural response to any kind of loss. So don't think, as Pastor said, you're, you and I are immune from grief. I think I heard somebody say something like this once, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. But I'm not, I'm not sure if I, re I really heard that. But I did hear a guy preach a whole sermon. And instead of the word mourn, he said moan. Blessed are they that moan, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> okay. Grief, C.S. Lewis said in his book, A Grief Observed, listen to this quote. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. You felt that way at times? If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in the safe, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The essence is, if you love something or someone, realize that you will get broken. Maybe you remember the story, I won't tell it now, but the Velveteen Rabbit, one of my favorites, okay? We don't know all the whys that, that we experience the hardships. We don't, but we do know this. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's just the way it is. And how we deal with it makes a difference. Is your life the way it's supposed to be? I don't know about you, mine isn't. You get what I'm saying with that? Life is just the way it is and we have to accept the reality of what is. And Jesus came to model for us how to live and react in an unfair world when he said, in this world we will have troubles or tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. What is good? What is grief? What is good grief? Good grief is being congruent with grieving. Good grief is when you really go through and accept that you're grieving. That's when it's good that you're self-aware. And good grief is not drowning in the grief, but swimming through the grief. Swimming through may be crying. Swimming through may be not talking. Swimming through may be angry. Swimming through may be the, the magical statement, only if, only if, only if. Those things happen, and that is not bad grief. It's good grief if those things happen, and you can get through it so that you at the end have acceptance and you have hope. Does that make sense? Because it's extremely important. There are the five stages of grief by a Swiss <coughs> psychiatrist and researcher. The first one, I'm gonna give you all five stages real quick. 
Then I'm going to talk about the, the first two. Is denial. Shock. Okay? You get it? You lose your job. You lose a loved one. Okay? It refers to the difficulty of comprehending the reality of the loss. All right? Have you felt? How many of you have felt shock in your life? Like, I can't believe it. I, I just can't believe that that happened. All right? It's, that's it. it. Then the next one is bargaining. Bargaining is a process that we, we end up saying before grief, you, you get a prognosis of cancer. Boy, if I recover from cancer, I promise I'll go to church every week. If I recover from cancer, I promise I'll never argue with my husband again. It includes magical thinking, only if. A good friend of mine from Berks County, the pastor's name is Brian Cuck. Brian Cuck, pastor of GT Church. And I'm, I was a non-resident elder there for 20 years, riding his motorcycle, going down the road on a Sunday afternoon after church. A drunk driver came across, hit him, hit him and his wife. His wife flew off the back, died instantly. He was pinned underneath the Florida Explorer. The, the EMTs resuscitated him three times, 17 surgeries. Later, he lost his leg. He lost his eye, his, his left leg. He lost his left eye playing baseball in the minor leagues. And he lost his wedding ring that you wear in your left hand. And he wrote a little booklet that said, I'm all right. But you know what people would say? Only if he didn't go for ice cream that Sunday afternoon. Only if they waited a little bit longer. Only if I called him and invited him to come to the house that day. That is a normal process. Therapeutically, I call it magical thinking, but it's really bargaining. Anger is a natural response to the loss. You may feel angry with yourself. You may feel angry with the loved one for leading, leaving you. But I want you to know that being angry is a normal process. And the Bible talks about it plenty. Even where it says, be angry and sin not. And then depression or sadness is the sadness, the depression that comes. It could be sadness. It could be depression where it lasts for a while. And once in a while, it moves to something that's called a moderate to clinical depression. And if that happens, then listen, you need to get help because you don't want it to be moderate and you don't want it to grow. And today, thank God, we're more prone, especially in the Christian community, to say, I need to get help because I'm, I'm down and depressed. Okay. And then the last one is acceptance. Okay. And that's the place where we grieve, but that grief doesn't disappear like it's erased. What happens is we learn to live with the grief and the impact of it is less. In other words, when we're watching a movie, we don't weep for an hour or two hours or we can't get up and go to work the next day. It's that we see it, we feel it, but down in our gut and our heart, we've accepted it. And for us, we accept it because we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We know that one day we'll be together. So now we're going to take a look at the two um, phases or stages in the grieving process. The first one is denial in parentheses, shock. I'm going to read a passage that's very familiar, and I, I like reading scripture. So let's listen to this 
and I'll stop at certain points, okay? It's from Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, but the focus is verses 11 through 13. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present, present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him, to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand, strike his flesh and bones. He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So as you know, the story says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from his head to the crown, from his feet to the crown of his head's head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, are you talking Foolishly, we shall, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job said, oh, in, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And now listen, when Job's three friends came and heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robe and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because he saw how great his suffering was. I'm guessing that during those seven days, Job was in shock. He lost everything his family, so forth and so on, and even his health. He lost it all and was in terrific pain. And what did he do? He sat there in shock. And what did his friends do? And here's where I want to talk to you. If you know someone who's going through shock, his friends did something very, very interesting. They showed up. They showed up. And when they saw the pain that he had, they didn't try to give him platitudes or words. They showed up and then they shut up. And then they simply sat with him. One of the most meaningful things that happened to me after my dad died when I was in seminary was when one of the students walked, the teacher announced it, and one of the students walked over to me and just put his arms around me and he hugged me. And I, I, I started to cry. And that hug meant so much to me at that particular time. He didn't utter a word, but his presence 
knowing he was with me during that, spoke to me. So, when you're in shock, allow yourself to be there for a while. Don't circumvent it or cut it short. If it's lasting months and years, of course you need to get help. But if you're going through a lot of pain and your, dis, your equilibrium is off, allow yourself to just sit there and be in shock and realize it's normal for a certain period of time to be in denial and act like that didn't happen. There's no way. You lose your job and you get dressed and you go to work the next day. That's denial, okay? But that's part of a grieving process. The next is bargaining, okay? And in bargaining is really trying to find something to take the pain away, right? That's what bargaining is. I want to take, the, want to take that pain away. And it's haggling, it's bartering, it's negotiating. And I looked and said, you know, where do I find a good example biblically of bargaining? And the story's found in John chapter 11. And it's the story about Martha and Mary when Lazarus died. And if you're familiar with the story, Lazarus passes away and Jesus, they call for Jesus to come. But by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has died. And without reading the whole story, Martha says to Jesus, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, in verse 20, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Bargaining. Then later, and Jesus says to her, but your brother will rise again. I know he'll rise again at the last day. And they have a conversation. And then eventually when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And you know the story, Jesus called him forth and he rose from the dead. What I want you to embrace as a result of reading the text is to realize that bargaining is a normal part of a grieving process. So when you say, only if we had a different doctor, only if we went to a different hospital, only if you didn't drive down that road, only if I didn't say, I'll never forget, a guy said one word that wasn't horrible, but it was enough that he got fired, okay, for it. And only if I didn't say that word, I wouldn't have lost my job. Well, that's bargaining. The truth is you've got to come to a place of acceptance, okay? So why am I bringing these two up? I want you to normalize them when you go through them. I want you to normalize them when you minister to someone. 
Does that make sense? Are we tracking okay? Okay. So what are some practical suggestions about grieving and hope? Number one, remember that this. Remember that sometimes in life we need a friend. Sometimes we need our pastor. Sometimes we need a counselor. Sometimes we need a doctor. Sometimes we need both, a therapist and a doctor. And sometimes, or not sometimes, all the time, we need hope, faith, and love that's best found through Jesus of Nazareth. So, what do we do? Realize grief is a natural part of the human experience. It's a natural part of a healthy relationship. It's the natural, it's a natural function of a of the experience of loss. Number two, remember God can handle our grief. We serve a God who's able to hold us and help us through the darkest times in our life. As the Psalmist David said in Psalm 77, one, on, one and two, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands. My soul refused to be comforted. But what ended up happening at the end of that chapter? God came through and comforted them. Jesus said, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, he felt the pain of the loss of that relationship with God and the weight of sin, but he knew, and so did David, that God was big enough and powerful enough and compassionate enough to handle our anger, our desolation, our grief. What do we do with our grief? Allow God to be a refuge and a very present help in times of trouble. I lost one of my best friends about five years ago and it was tough, very tough. And there were days I sat in the chair and I felt overwhelmed with sadness when Joe passed away when he shouldn't have. And what did I have to do? I had to turn to the Lord and realize that I'm not grieving as one that doesn't have hope. Next, allow your friends to share in your grief. Don't do what Pastor did. Allow other people into your life and don't isolate yourself. Isolating yourself is a real good prescription for depression. Don't isolate yourself. Realize that heartache and pain can and often is a doorway to intimacy with yourself, with others, and with God. There's an old Hasidic saying that says, when the heart breaks, truth can come in. Remember, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. Paul said, if we live, we live unto the Lord. And if we die, we die unto the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What we do with our grief is really our choice. It's our choice. None of us can choose what happens to us. We can only choose 
how we respond. When I was 19 years old, my mother asked me to read the book, Man's Search for Significance by Viktor Frankl. If you haven't read that book, that's read that book. It's a powerful book. Psychiatrist in Auschwitz, and one of the lessons that he simply learned, and I'll quote him, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms that a man has is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He said it another way in another part of the book, you can take the ring off my finger, you can take my family, you can take this and this and this away from me, but the one thing that you can't do is you can't take away my ability to choose how I'm gonna to respond to the atrocities in Auschwitz that were laid upon me. You don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. And in closing, summarizing all this, what do you do with your grief? Number experience it, experience it. Number two, express it. Number three, choose to allow it to make you better, not bitter. And when COVID came, I wrote my only article that I put on social media called Don't Waste Your Suffering. I really do believe that our suffering that comes our way, God can turn around and he can use that for the betterment of others. So therefore, don't forget that sometimes you need a friend to talk to. And sometimes you need to call your pastor. And other times you need a counselor. And other times you need a medical doctor. Other times you need a therapist and a doctor. But all times you need and I need love, faith, and hope that comes through Jesus of Nazareth. God bless you. Amen. Hey guys, thank you for listening through today's teaching. And I want to say a special thank you to our guest speakers who have helped us during this Good Grief series. I hope that they've helped you. If there's anything that we can do to support you in your journey and in this chapter of life, please don't hesitate to reach out. As a matter of fact, we'd love to hear from everyone who's watching this video. Go to branchlife.church and under the links section, you'll see our weekly check-in. Use that link to communicate with us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd love to connect and help you any way that we can through this chapter of life. We hope you'll join us next time. Thanks for being a part of this time. Have a great rest of your day.